Well, good morning, New Life Church. Have you ever missed something because it was just so familiar? You drive past it, you just don't even see it anymore, you don't even look at it. It's a little bit different than when you're on a road trip, right? You, you're on a road trip, you expect to see beauty, you expect to see something worth looking at. You, you put your head out of the car and you're, you're craning your neck trying to see what there is to see. You do that weird driving thing where you're, you're doing one of these and you're trying to see the top of a mountain or the top of some vista or some beautiful place. When you're on a road trip, you don't want to miss those things. You don't want to just fly by. You tend to drive a bit slower. You tend to look for discoveries, look for something worth noting, look for something worth writing home about. On other days, the not road trip days, the normal work days, you just drive. Maybe, maybe you don't. I do. I just drive. Um, with my work that I do most of the time, it's a lot of driving. I drive all over the place and I've been doing it for almost 10 years of driving around the Portland area. And I know some of those areas so well that they're just boring to me. They're familiar. They are the things I've passed hundreds of times and I don't see them anymore. I don't notice them anymore. There's a particular section in the midst of the city of Portland and it's in the middle of all these busy streets and um, it's, it's, there's crazy traffic over there and I've literally driven by it hundreds of times. And there was, there's this patch of trees and it's just an odd, big patch of trees. I, don't, I was always just confused by it and it was there and then eventually it was just familiar and eventually I didn't even see it anymore. The other day I happened to schedule something and I was driving to this event and I am headed to this odd patch of trees. And I realized that this odd patch of trees is a golf course. And I got to walk this place and I was walking around and eventually I was no longer in the busy streets and I was into lush grass and amongst trees and it was calm and it was quiet and it was lovely and it was restful. I didn't even know this was here. This is just an odd patch of trees and I have missed this because I've passed it hundreds of times and it was familiar and I would have said, oh yeah, I know that, that weird patch of trees over there and now I know that's a good, that's a good place. That's, a, that's an oasis of rest in, amongst the busyness of the city in that particular plot of land. For a while now, Romans, we've been looking through it, we've been walking through it, and we have been on a, on a road trip of sorts through mostly unfamiliar territory. And we've slowed the car down and we've observed the landscape and we've looked out and we've set up the camera and we've got the shot of the vista. And we've done that because a lot of these things have seemed new and unfamiliar and especially powerful. Today on our road trip, we pass something that could easily be bypassed. Because we have driven by it so many times, we already think we know it, I know that one, no big deal. It's so familiar that words almost bounce off of our foreheads rather than go deep into our hearts. So this morning, I'm inviting us to get out of the car, jump the guardrail, walk around a little bit, see what this place is, see what this space is, see what this landscape is, because this is an amazing view. This is an amazing view. This is a wonderful landscape. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 8.28. 
This morning we're going to continue our road trip through Romans 8. It has been a refreshing and helpful look at the work of the Holy Spirit and the way the Spirit interacts in the life of a believer. We're in Romans 8.28. I'm going to start in verse 26 to get us back into this road trip. Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Before we, before we even get out of the car, I want, to, I want us to remember where we've been driving. This is not just a little nugget that we can pop out of a context and hold. We've been talking for weeks now about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, in the lives of believers, in the lives of those who love God. The Spirit is given as a seal for those who are in Christ. We have been given the mindset of the Spirit. We've talked about that. We are led by the Spirit. We walk in step with the Spirit to live like Jesus and abandon the ways of the flesh. The Spirit is the Spirit of adoption and allowing us to cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit tells us we are children of God and we will share in the glory of Jesus. And in the midst of all this, we are reminded there is suffering in this life. Christianity does not shy away from the fact that there is suffering, that there is real pain, real difficulty, real evil in the world. Romans doesn't skirt around it. He could just say, we're sons, we're daughters of God, and we could just, we could just keep going. But Paul says there's suffering in this world. We will share in the glory of Christ. We will share in the suffering of Christ. There is difficulty in this life. If you've been here for any number of years, I don't have to convince you of that. There's death and hurt and unfathomable pain. The world even, Paul tells us in Romans, the world, all creation is groaning, longing for restoration. And often when we just can't bring words to our own mouths, we groan because this place can be so hard. And this chapter reminds us that the relationship we have with the Spirit is such that the Spirit groans for us to God. The Spirit groans for us. When our prayers don't come out, when our lips can't move without quivering and our throats seize up, when we can't look someone in the eye because that type of vulnerability will just bring us to tears again, the Spirit helps in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, when we face the loss of a friend, when we have a family member die, when the job falls through your fingers, when you don't know how you can put food on the table, when you can't seem to say the right things in that relationship, when that addiction seems to be bigger than you, even though you don't even want it anymore, the Spirit groans for us, talks to God for us. The Spirit is doing a type of work that encourages us and bolsters our hearts and strengthens our feet. Verse 26 and 27 says, your prayers can't miss. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us. 
Verse 28 will remind us that our circumstances can't miss. For us who share in the Spirit, nothing is big enough, nothing is scary enough that it doesn't work together for good. In the midst of the groaning, remember that all works together for good. That's the idea of this. That's the thing we need to stop and get out of the car and look at. In the midst of the groaning, all works together for good. Verse 28 starts, and we know. Paul has stopped the car in the middle of this drive, this drive through understanding the Spirit, this drive through understanding suffering. He stops and says, this is a fact that we know. We know this. There's almost an abruptness here. We were driving, oh, I know this, and he slams on the brakes. Points out the window. Look at that. We know this truth. We have this good promise. Don't let it just fly by. Don't drive by this. Almost a moment of reminder. Don't forget this. This is a powerful promise, an encouraging truth, and it should sit in our mind and in our hearts, especially when the groaning starts. This is for the groaning. Don't leave this at home on the shelf. This is a helpful truth that gives confidence and hope alongside the interaction of the Spirit. These two things work together. The Spirit prays for us, and we know. We have been bolstered in our understanding of the work of the Spirit, and this is a truth that we know can fit alongside that understanding. This will encourage us in the same way that the Spirit prays for us encourages us. What does Paul say? That for those who love God. So what is it we know? First, for whom? This is for those who love God. Now, now we should stop for a moment and remind ourselves of the way Paul has been talking about our relationship with God. It has been one of two states, right? We've been doing this for months now. I am in Adam or I am in Christ, right? Remember that? I have the mindset of the flesh or I have the mindset of the spirit. I live according to the flesh or I live according to the spirit. I have the spirit of slavery or I have the spirit of adoption. None of these categories of being in goodness are dependent on my action. The state of being in the Spirit is a state of being rescued and redeemed, being graced. You can't fault your way out of that. When you are in Christ, you are no longer in the other category. Something is different. You can be fully alive. That's what Romans is about. In the same way the promise is for those who love God, this links up with all these other descriptors of being in Christ, being in the Spirit. Adoption. We are children. Don't read this and think, man, I've, I've had a bad week this week. I've done a poor job of loving God this week. There are some bad circumstances. This is punishment because I, I've done a bad job at loving God. Let us not forget there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the beginning of this chapter. Remember the beginning of this little road trip? To be in that state is to have the Spirit, to love God, to be a lover of God. And this promise, this thing that you can know and be certain of, it is on lock. It is dialed in. It does not change. You can have confidence. You can have hope. You can trust it to hold true in the midst of the strongest winds. Just as you can trust that you can't fault your way back into your old state, into Adam. 
Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This is a weighty, weighty, weighty statement. All things, my friends, all things, fellow children of God, all things. This is not limited to the good stuff, to the godly stuff. He does not say most agreeable things work together. The good family circumstances and the enjoyable job, the good days, Fridays, not Mondays, the good seasons of life, all good things work together, yes, but it is, that's an easier thing to understand. Those are easier to see as good because there's something immediate right in front of our face we can see with our eyes in that moment. This is a good thing. I can visibly see the grace. Of course this works to good. It's good. I like it. Paul does not limit it that way. He says, all things work together. And this is in the midst of a passage talking about suffering. We've been talking about suffering and pain and the type of situations that are so deep in our souls and the pain is so raw that when you try to just pray about it, pray for help, you can't even speak. Paul reminds us the Spirit is praying for you and then he says, don't forget what we know. All things work together for good. My circumstances? All things. This pain? All things. This broken body? All things. That broken relationship? All things. That diagnosis? All things. That rejection? All things. That persecution? All things. That death? All things. For those who love God, all things work together, are woven together, pieced together, worked into something that is for good, are part of something bigger, and will work together to yield good. You can be certain of that, lover of God. You can know that, child of God. You can be confident in that, fellow heir with Christ. And let me gently remind us, let us let's not overstate this. Not all is good. This does not change the quality of the painful circumstances you experience. This is not a call to pretend that the evil things are glorious things. It's not true. This is not to say bad is good. That's not true. This is not a call to wipe the tears from your eyes and plast a smile on your face because this will be good. This is good. No. Friends, you look suffering in the face and you cry out, Abba, Father, what do I do? You look at death and you say, this is not how this is supposed to be. You look at pain and brokenness and suffering and you weep 
and you sit there and you don't know how to pray and you groan with all of creation. And you remember that you know that even this, even this has not jumped out of the grasp of the hands of God and his ability to weave it for good for the lovers of God. All things. And there's no guarantee of immediacy. Sometimes we are graced with the ability to look back at that painful situation, that painful season, that painful time, that, that thing that happened that just hurts my soul. And we can look back and sometimes we get to see how that story meandered through our lives and it was used for good. Sometimes we get to see that. If that is the case, praise God. That is a little blessing, this side of glory. We have, we have a biblical example of that in the story of Joseph. You guys may remember that guy suffering after suffering, experienced evil when his brothers cruelly threw him in a pit to kill him, experienced evil when they decided not to do that and said sell him into slavery, experienced difficulty when he was cheated and lied about by an employer's wife, experienced suffering when he was thrown into prison, experienced long-suffering when he was forgotten and left there. And eventually, it's a crazy story, it's worth reading, he's put in charge of the administration of a great world power. And when that happened, a famine comes around, and there's no food, and who needs food? We look back at the other side of the story, his brothers need food. And who is in the place to give them food? Joseph ready and able to save his brothers from starvation. And Joseph was able to look back at the story and see these painful things and see how those circumstances work together for good. And he said to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's Genesis 50. That's what he tells his brothers. He doesn't soften what they did. He says, God worked this together for good. And he was able to see that story come to fruition. And some of us can look back at past suffering and difficulty and see how it worked out for good. Perhaps you're in a place to love and encourage people now because of something you went through. Perhaps you have a different trust in God because of a past season of life. Perhaps the gospel was explained to you when you were at your lowest, darkest, vulnerable moment. And now you're in a place rejoicing in your status as a child of God. Maybe you can see those things. But other times, we never see how it works together for good. This side of the groaning, this side of the longing, this side of glory... Some of you have stories from your past and you read this and think, how will that work together? How will that work together for good? Some of you sit in situations right now and you're thinking, how does this work? How, how could this possibly work together for good? And why is it so long? This promise also contains a mystery. This beautiful promise says all things work together for good, but does not tell us how that works. 
It does not elucidate the mechanisms or the workings. It does not detail the weaving. It does not explain how this piece fits together with this piece and they come together and then it gets put together with this piece and now there is good. It doesn't explain that. Sometimes we get little glimpses and we get little pieces of people's stories and we see some little things, but on the whole, we don't know. We can ask God, how do you do that? And we can speculate and we can ponder and we can consider and we can write and think. But we need to say, I don't know. But what do I know? I do know that all things work together for good for me, a lover of God. For you, a lover of God. This is what we know. And Paul continues, for those who are called according to his purpose. To give us a double confidence in who this is for. Who can hold this promise? Who can know this truth? Paul finishes with, for those who are called according to his purpose. The same people who are lovers of God are those who are called. This echoes the very beginning of the letter to the Romans. When he is writing out, as it were, the address on the front of the envelope. He says in Romans 1, To those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Those who are called to be saints are those loved by God. Those who love God. Those who have the spirit of adoption. Sons of God. Children of God. This promise is for you. In one sentence, the recipient is proclaimed twice to make sure that it is clear, to make very certain and obvious who this good is for. It is for you, saint. It is for you, called one. It is for you, child of God. For you, lover of God. We can know this. And we are called according to his purpose. God has a plan. God has an end in mind. God has us on a trajectory and a destination. And even when this present time is bumpy and painful and wearying and tear-stained, we can be certain that all things work together for good. This is, this is good news. There is hope here that transcends difficulty and pain. Practically, what do, what do I do with this? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to figure out. What do I do with this? This is a truth that we know. What do I do? Remind yourselves. Remind yourselves of this truth. Paul says, this is something we know. Remind yourselves. This is something we know. Don't let this truth get dusty on the shelf. Hold it and remember it. Paul was able to remind this particular group of saints in Rome, hey, don't forget what we know. Remind yourself. Remind your community. Remind your family. Remind those that sit next to you in life group. This is what we know. And because because if this is not something you know, this is not something you're reminded of, this is not something you remember, it is really hard to learn it in the middle of suffering, in the middle of the tears. And what can be a healing bomb when it is a reminder can be a hurting club when it is thrown around in a clumsy manner. 
This is good news. Remind each other. Don't wield this as a sword. Sit next to someone and weep with them. Don't go, everything's fine. Weep with them. This reminds me of another verse that can be clumsily wielded. In Jeremiah 29, 11, and everyone went, oh, I know that one. Jeremiah, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that's when we can just drive by. These are words from God that sit in a a letter to the people of God who are becoming exiles. Becoming refugees. They are going to Babylon. It's as if we were sent to modern day Syria. And Jeremiah wrote this letter to them and in the middle of it he has this reminder but before he gives them this reminder, this truth we remember, this letter's from God and God says, I am sending you to Babylon. You will be exiles, pulled from your homes, and you think the only way this is going to be good is if it stops and we go back. But you need to go to Babylon. You need to live there. You need to be there. He says, build houses there. Plant gardens there. Be there. Take wives and have children and give your children in marriage. Pray for the city that you live in. Pray for the people that exiled you. Pray for their welfare. Pray for their good. Keep living life and keep walking. And don't listen to those people that will come up and say, God's not working in in this. The only thing that could be good is if we get rescued and we get taken away. This This is worthless. God says, you will be there for 70 years and then says, for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And God gave them this reminder on their way to Babylon so they could hold it and walk courageously for 70 years. And they could remind each other, remember what God told us? There's a future and a hope. Because it's, it's hard to be told that at year 40. I need to be told that at year one and reminded of it at two and three and four and five and 50 and 60 and 70. All things will work together for good. Remind ourselves of this. Remind each other of this because you know life is hard. There are big tears. There are, there's big difficulty. And we need this from the beginning. We need this truth and we need to hold on to it from the beginning. What else do we do with this? Be, be a realist. And what I mean by that is live your life with an understanding of, of true reality. What is true in the small picture? Call what's bad as bad. Look at evil and say, this is, this is painful. I will cry and I will weep. And I will groan and it will hurt. And I will not fake it and pretend this is something different than pain. And be a realist in the grand picture. Even this will work together for good. 
Even this pain cannot jump outside the grasp of the hands of God. Even this. God is bigger than this, and I have a reason for hope and understanding, and I can trust him that he will weave this into good. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I can trust him. Be willing to say, I don't know. How does this work? How will this be good? I don't know. What do we know? All works together for good for the children of God. If that hope is something foreign to you, because you have been on the outside of this as someone who does not love God, I would invite you to run to God today. There is rescue and salvation and working of all things for good. I want to give us one final reminder of the power of God to work these things together. In the story of Joseph, he got to see a little bit of his story and what happened and why it was good, why it was, how it was worked together, but he didn't even get to see the greater story, the greater end to his suffering, the greater working together for good. The brothers that were saved from death in that famine, the brothers that got the food that they needed, one of those brothers was Judah. And because he was saved from the famine, his children and grandchildren lived. And eventually, one of his great, 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 great grandchildren is someone named Mary. One who would become the mother of the God-man Jesus. And Jesus, God with us, took the greatest groaning, the greatest tragedy. We killed God. We killed God. Jesus endured the cross, took our shame, took our sins, took our condemnation, and died. And in that moment of quiet, there's, there's the groaning right there. There's the uncertainty. There's the how can this be good? How does this work together for good? We killed God. How does this work together? God is dead. But even that did not fall out of the hands of the grasp of God. We worship Jesus, who did not remain dead, but was raised by the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, and conquered death, and broke sin, and pulls us into life with Christ, into life with Jesus, and gave us the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead. And even in the darkness of the death of Christ, the death of God. These things work together for good, for our good. Because of Christ, we are in Christ. Because of Christ, we are lovers of God. Because of Christ, we have the Spirit. And because of Christ, we can know, we can be certain, even in the darkest moments, if God can work the death of God into good for us, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those that are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this promise. Thank you for these words. Help us to hold them as a balm, as a medicine, as a remedy. Help us to not forget them. Help us to remind each other of them because 
we know that when life gets most difficult, our memories become most faulty. Holy Spirit, I ask for your work in us. Press this truth into our hearts. Prep us for future suffering and comfort all of us who sit in suffering right now and are more prone to say, how long, O Lord, rather than we know, we know that all things work together for good. Jesus, thank you for coming for us and coming to us and dying for us and bringing us together with you so we can hold on to promises like this. Bolster our confidence and worship of you as we sing. Amen.